Hi, and welcome to Decoding AQ, helping you to learn the tools, mindsets, and actions to thrive in an ever-changing world. Hi, and welcome to our next episode of Decoding AQ. With me this morning, I've got Nikki J. Owen. She is the founder at The Healing Hub, and you'll be surprised to hear, if you're watching this rather than listening to it, but actually Nikki's been in this area for over three decades in transforming lives, which is truly amazing. And really the focus on creating change in habits, in our behaviors, in our mindset and our performance ultimately to ensure that we have the best kind of version, you know, the best well-being. So welcome, Nikki. Oh, it's lovely to be here, Ross. So my first bit I've got is, um, you speak about, and you've mentioned a few times in our conversations and, and online and things about this gap between knowing and doing. When did you first come up with that observation and thought between the difference of knowing and, and doing in relation to behavior change? I'm just fascinated by, let's get straight into that piece, Nikki. Yeah, well, this is my passion because I think that there is right now stress, mental health issues, they are the biggest problem facing humanity today, and it's not going away. And the good news is that many organizations, lots of coaches, lots of individuals are actually doing lots to try to reduce their stress levels, to bring down their anxiety so that they can make better decisions, they can enjoy life a bit more. But the problem is a lot of what is out there is either very theoretical and you can you know read about things or it's quite superficial and so it's one thing to know about what I need to do to reduce my own stress levels or what I need to do or the processes I need to introduce in my organization to reduce employee stress levels the challenge is that it's not working and that has always been a fascination for me because I've been driven by what can I do that makes a deep and profound difference in the shortest time possible. And I, I think that the analogy I like to use is it's a bit like uh, taking your driving test. You can get like 100% on your theory and you can know everything and answer every question, but can you actually drive? And can you drive competently? So that is why I feel it's not about just giving people tons and tons of information. I'm passionate about making a difference so people feel different straight away. And more importantly, that they know how they can work with their own stress levels. They don't have to go on big expensive programs or pay loads of money to, for someone else to sort it out on the short term. They've actually got an awareness. They know what they can need to do to sort themselves out. And often these realities that we're now in, in this heightened state where stress has become more and more something that people are talking about, we're being aware of, and we're seeing it not just in uh, the health system and how it drives chronic issues, um, but also now into work and how work is both suffering and contributing to that. And a lot of um, people's journeys is we've been about, ah, oh, 
let's cope, you know, a British thing, stiff upper lip. How can we, you know, still hold on to all of that stress? And actually the, the reality of how much is too much and we get these traumas. And for you, I think, you know, a lot of your fascination in your own life happened when you had a very traumatic event. And when people are going through a sort of sustained level of stress versus a traumatic event, what have you found to be some of the triggers that um, people then go enough's enough and they actually do something about it? Just tell me a little bit about your story and maybe your experience of um, how you saw that, how you see the observations around trauma or sustained levels of uncomfort. Well, there's two things I just like to kind of share with you, because the first one is how much is too much and this stiff upper lip. And one of the biggest lies on the planet is when you say to people, how are you feeling today? And they're clearly, you know, in a really bad state, but they say, I'm fine. You know, those two words, I'm fine, is just something they've uttered, but they're not. And the reason for that, Ross, is that from the moment we were born, we were born with a natural and innate ability to release stress and anxiety really easily, really quickly. And that was when we had temper tantrums. So if we felt angry, we'd, you know, all that cortisol, all that adrenaline in the body, we'd start pummeling our fish, shouting, screaming, stomping our feet, we'd go red in the face. And then after a while, we got it out our system and then we'd be calm. So we were very good at expressing and releasing the stress hormones related with stimulating type emotions. And in the animal kingdom, they do the same. It's referred to as a process called a neurogenic tremor where you'll see animals shaking after some sort of trauma. The challenge is that as we start to grow up, we learn that maybe it's not safe to express how we feel, or we might have been told by, you know, daddy, if we fall over and we're a boy, for example, oh, big boys don't cry. Or we might have said something and been told off for saying the wrong thing. Over the years, we either suppress our emotions consciously or we repress them because we've had some sort of trauma. And both these things mean that over the years, those negative emotions that have been unprocessed build up, build up, build up in the the body until one day those emotions are triggered and the eruption of emotions can seem out out of proportion to what's really going on in the current moment. So one of the most fundamental things I learned about working with stress in a deep, meaningful and practical way is that you have to provide a way for individuals to be able to process and then release old pent up emotions that they've been holding in their body so that their their glass of water has been emptied giving them more agility, more adaptability, more resilience for dealing with the current situation. So I haven't answered the question about my own trauma, but does that sort of respond? That, that's, your- we'll, we'll might come back to your own trauma, but the this 
um, piece that you mentioned about repress or to suppress, you know, that society yeah. is built up around how to deal with emotions. And a lot of people talk, myself included, about, well, an emotion, how can we be an observer of that emotion um, that is passing through us versus I am that, you know, and yeah. the, these types of different things of language or techniques. I'm interested in, so we might observe this situation that it creeps up on us, creeps up on us because society has wrapped a particular way of dealing with it around it. And we've become um, programmed to that. And then we have this event, this bubble up, this whatever it might be that um, yeah. happens. What are some of the things that we can look out for before that? You know, it, it, that oh, I think I'm OK. I've just said I'm fine because you asked me, Nikki, but. Am I really? How can I look at myself and maybe know some of those pre things? Is it about my sleep? Is it about what other bits might give me early indicators before I then snap and the you know straw has been broken? Um, yeah, it's interesting in because often we are blissfully unaware of how stressed we are. It's a bit like wearing a tight pair of shoes all day and you don't realize they're tight until you take them off at night. So it's only when something goes majorly wrong, do you, because you lose perspective when you're really stressed, when you're really anxious, you're operating from the fight or flight. Your amygdala, which is responsible for the regulation of your emotions has been hijacked. So you're not rational. And so you're operating really without that ability to really know and feel what's really going on in your body so that typical indicators of stress can show up emotionally, they can show up physically, they can show up in our behaviors. So we might find that we're overthinking, we're overprocessing, we're thinking at speed. We might notice that we, we, we have a very uh, low mood. What happens when we're stressed that the musculature in our body tenses because we're trying to keep old pent up emotions buried. So the musculature tenses around there. This creates a shift in the breath. So it means we breathe shallowly. So we're not oxygenating our body. So physically, this can manifest itself in things like um, digestive issues, uh, sleep problems, uh, sexual challenges, all sorts of physical ways. And if we think about what is an emotion, emotions are simply energy moving through us. So if we're able to allow, like a toddler, um, the toddler just expresses the emotion and the energy is shifted because energy always moves, always shifts. The challenge is when the energy becomes stuck and frozen, and that's when it creates problems. So that's when it starts to show up in chronic issues from prostate problems to uh, erectile dysfunction, to digestive issues, to migraines, to physiological issues, heart problems. Because when we're stressed, we're hardening the heart to cope with what's hurting us and therefore the heart wall hardens and it creates more problems for us so 
it is a massive issue. And from a behavioral point of view, we may withdraw into our cave. We might be overly aggressive with trying to get our point across. We become much more selfish because what's happening in that moment when we're feeling stressed is that the 50 trillion cells in our body that are the building blocks of everything in our body actually close down and form a little silo, a lockdown, so that when our cells are in lockdown, we suppress our immune system and we also close down our mindset. So we can't think in a way that's in a thriving way. We are literally incarcerated by what is going on in our body and we don't know how to get out of it because it's like a, a nightmare groundhog day. And this is the problem. Most people don't recognize just how stressed and anxious they are, but it's showing up in productivity in the workplace. It's showing up in absenteeism. Over 51% of workplace absenteeism is stress related. I think that something like 79% of all visits to GPs are stress related issues. It's, it's a real massive problem. And just talking about it, you know, people can say, oh, that's interesting. That's fine. You know, blah, blah, blah. Oh, you know, but what can you do about it? Yeah. So that's, I think that's, that's a, really why I'm passionate. It's such a good point in that so many of us, you know, as conscious uh, beings and relatively intelligent that we can see these things, right? And we can then learn about it. We, it might be ah. I learn about stress. I see it's bad. I learn about smoking. I see it's bad. I learn about alcohol. I see it's bad. I get the data. I get this stuff, but I don't change who I am or what I do. And I think that's what's so yeah, fascinating yeah. about the human condition is that the basics of being able to live in your best version, if you're, if you're all closed down because of whatever that we're doing and we'll read a book or we'll hear or listen to someone that says, ah, to sleep well and you need to exercise you need to breathe you need to hydrate basic things yet so many people don't bloody do it do they so well, what's they don't, the, what's they, the don't Ross. they don't ross because yeah. uh there is something that has happened to them as they've grown you know as they're growing up uh that has i mean because the first six or seven years of our life we're operating in a hypnagogic state which means we're highly suggestible which means that the moment we're born, we need a set of behaviors to interact with the world. So where do we learn our behaviors from? From our parents or our caregivers. So we go through this six, seven year process of observing the people that bring us up, recording and downloading that. And so often the behaviors we have as an adult, they're not even our behaviors. And most of those behaviors are negative and sabotage what we want to be. Because the reason people have too much to drink or obsess with social media or smoke or don't exercise is because fundamentally there's an issue at the root of that. And I think that you have to address the root cause 
of what's creating the symptoms, because all they are are coping mechanisms with the fact that there's some emotional pain going on. And that's, again, if we don't deal with the emotional pain, if we don't release that emotional pain, and not many people want to spend hours and years and months in therapy, they haven't got the time, it might be considered a bit American, you know, I don't know, but we need to find a practical way that we can release that old unprocessed baggage so we're liberated because our cells are thriving, because the neural circuits in the brain have been formed to support rather than sabotage us. So we need to do something different. And the same old, same old, old fashioned tools and techniques just don't don't work. Do you know what I had a vision of, Nikki? I had a vision, listen to you, of um, these rooms, instead of them being chill out rooms, they're, ten, they're tantrum rooms. And yes. as adults, we can go off. And yes. when we want one or not, actually, we should be forcing ourselves to go and have a tantrum and let that out well, and Ross, let those that's things exactly, out. That's exactly the basis of some of the tools and techniques, because totally. uh, I work with techniques that use open mouth breath work, breath retention, and then primal releasing, because you have to simulate a neurogenic tremor to release the cortisol and the adrenaline from your body, because a chill out room, when you're stressed, it's a bit like saying, well, why don't you meditate? So if you're new to meditation and you're stressed, it's a bit like chucking back a, a can of Red Bull and then expecting to have a calm night's sleep. It's impossible because your body is overstimulated. So the idea of quietening your mind and observing your thoughts brings more agitation. It just doesn't work. I'm not saying meditation isn't brilliant. I'm a big fan. It just takes quite a while for it to really work and for you to feel the profound benefits. And when you're stressed, you don't have the you don't have the motivation. You haven't got the willpower. You want something that works quickly and at speed. So we have to embrace different ways of doing things. And so if we come to some of your thoughts around behavioral change and how we so we can learn something and then I've followed a lot of, you know, BJ Fogg's work that's then been popularized in like atomic habits and things where they talk about the model of we have a motivation, we have an ability, and then we have a prompt that will trigger a particular behavioral action or change. And a lot of the prompts that we're talking about here are ones that are sabotaging rather than a prompt being one that is uh, helping us in the way that we're getting behavior that is conducive to functioning body to a healthy body and in this world of what we're talking about here of functioning working environments you know if we going into work and we're expecting people and we're now not able to observe them in the same way we could because a lot of people are working remotely and the fine is even more just you can't see beyond the fine because it's a screen and they're there and they turn off or they don't turn the camera on or whatever it may be (laughs) to really go, ah, you know, Nikki, really, how are you doing is difficult when you're remote. So what I'm interested in is uh, that where we started off, you know, between knowing and doing, what are some of the maybe practical things that you could help some of our listeners that, you know, they're in, they're in Nikki, they're, they're going, right, this is resonating with me, this is making sense. 
what do I need to do? Do I need to go off and work on the trauma and do the hard work? Can I go and have a tent? What are the things if I want to shift some of my practices and shift some of my behaviors, where would I start? So there's a few things because I just want to give as much value as I can. So the first thing is going back to these uh, habits, because, you know, how many people at the beginning of the year think, right, I'm going to go to the gym every single day. And they're going from the couch to not doing anything and overeating over the seasonal period to suddenly wanting to be highly active. And what we need to do with a habit, first of all, we have to have a really clear reason why we want to do it. And that reason we need to be uh, aware of what we will gain, uh, what are the benefits of doing it and what we will avoid from not doing it. So I think that that whole thing about getting clear on our why, as Simon Sinek said, is absolutely vital, because unless we've got the reason, a compelling motivation to do something, then there's no catalyst for change. The other thing about habits is it takes on average 66 days to create a new automated habit that leads to behavioral change. So what we need to do is we need to do a tiny, tiny, tiny thing consistently every day. So I'm gonna give you an example of how I've built the muscles in my arms, because as I've got older, I'm 62 years old and my arms, you know, were beginning a bit, you know, flabby and everything. And I'm not particularly into going to the gym and doing all the, the kind of testosterone fuel weights. So every time I go for a wee, I've got some little handheld weights. Once I've flushed the toilet, I do five tricep exercises with my little weights. And that's every time I go to the, you know, to the toilet. And so going to the toilet, I, I'm doing that, you know, a few times a day. That's your prompt. And, and that's a prompt. Yeah. And it's an easy thing for me to just do five you know, arm exercises with, with these little 3K weights. So that's been so easy to incorporate that I haven't even noticed it. And it's become a second nature as cleaning my teeth. So the important thing when we're wanting to make a change is the smaller the change, don't make it too massive, make it really small and link it to a trigger. And that is really, really important. So those two things are important. Then in terms of like, how can I do something with my stress? I mean, I could give you something now that I could show you in the moment that will release stress in less than one minute if you're Let's open do it. to it. Let's do it. do it. So yeah. I'll, it's, um, it's a four step process and I'll explain, we'll experience it, you know, in the moment um, and I'll give you a, um, a quick explanation as to why we do it. And then we put it all together and you can tell me if it's worked. So if anyone's listening to this and they're driving a car, they, they really mustn't do this. You, they, if they're wanting to do it and participate, they need to be sat down okay. and we both feel because it is really powerful. We're not messing around here. All right. So the, the first step of this really rapid stress release process is we're going to do uh, five open mouth breaths. Now, when we do this, uh, the reason we're doing open mouths is it's the quickest way to transport vast quantities of oxygen 
into our bloodstream and it changes the chemistry of the body. So it alters the chemistry, which softens the musculature, which means that unprocessed emotions can start to surface. So when you're taking the breath in, as you breathe in, you want to push out your belly. You want to inflate your stomach on the inhale. So we're going to do that right now together. So open the mouth, Ross, and just as a little pointer to check how open the mouth needs to be, take two fingers, mm -hmm. pop them in your mouth. Ah. That's how open the mouth needs to be. So that's just a okay. check. So it's quite open. Yep. So put your hands on your stomach just to remind yourself you're breathing into your belly. And let's do five breaths. All right. Okay. Open the mouth, Ross. That's it. Right. Deeply in, push out your belly. Keep the shoulders relaxed out through the mouth. Right. Breathe in, push out the belly. Even deeper into the belly. You're two in the diaphragm. Okay. Out of it. Now push in the belly. Push out the belly. That's it. And out. Take a deep breath in and out. One more. Take a deep breath in and push out your stomach and out. Now, step two is where I invite you to take a deep breath in and hold your breath for the count of 10. So keeping your shoulders nice and relaxed. So just take a deep breath in and close your mouth. Close your eyes. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Exhale. The third step is where we're going to mimic a temper tantrum, just as you said. Okay, so we're going to bring up your yeah. fists. And I want you to imagine you've got a boxing ball in front of you and you're going okay. to keep your jaw nice and relaxed. And yeah. you're just going to then pummel really fast, really fast, faster than that, more intensely. That's it. And we're going to do that for the count of 10. One, faster, two, three. Four, keep the jaw relaxed. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Relax. You should be feeling some pulsating, some tingling. And now hold your left wrist. Bring in your wrist to your heart. Close your eyes and just repeat in your own mind. I am safe. I am calm. Peace. 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 And just come to. So do you fancy putting that all together quickly? <laughs> Go on then. Can we yeah. just really yeah, 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 let's do it. Fun? Okay, so ready? Open mouth, yeah. press. Okay, deeply in and out. Deeply in. Push out the belly and out. Really push out the belly on the inhale. Breathe in and out deeply in push out the belly and out deeply in push out the belly and out now take a deep breath in and hold your breath one two three four relax your shoulders and just calm and soothe the mind nine ten exhale bring up your fists and Pummel for 10, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Hold the wrist. 
I am safe. I am calm. Peace, peace, peace. How'd you feel? Awesome. I feel a few different uh, pieces. One, I couldn't help but be thinking about my dogs that every time they meet another dog and there's a little bit, they'll do that shake. And my wife's always saying, oh, yeah, they were scared. They were frightened. They've had their little shake off. And I've never done that myself. I've done a lot of breath work, done all of those types of things. And just that difference of going uh, out was really interesting of how it how it felt and embrace the, you know, learning out loud, learning together. And um, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, so thank you, Nikki. That was that was really great and very practical. Right. Anyone can can do yeah. that very easily. And I think if we come back to linking it to the prompt to a trigger, where can we find is it? Oh, I've just done it because I've heard it on the podcast. and Nikki's taken me through it. But where else, if I want to look at bringing this into part of my routine, what is an additive routine, whether it's when you go to the loo, whether it's when you clean your teeth, where are the little moments that you might be able to then just follow these simple uh, practices? I know my wife's, you know, for years now been balancing on one foot when she cleans her teeth and then swaps to the other foot just to help with balance. Um, and so all those little things, I think, are, are really, really helpful. If we come to a leader uh, in organizations, if you have people that are around you, that they might be this type of thing in not normally done for them. Uh, how would they maybe approach uh, thinking about it in the context of these types of things, whether it's what you've just run through or other things that may be different to the normal routine or, hey, we've got this task to do or we've got this project update. If they're wanting to weave in some of these more human things about behaviors, about wellness, um, what is some of your advice for leaders that they can consider how to uh, begin the, the process that's not just a, hey, we've got this summit or we've got this Wellness Wednesday or whatever that becomes more um, yeah. centered around some of the work that you, that you do? Well, a bunch of techniques, including the one that I've just shown you, is, are just techniques. And techniques are only ever going to be useful if they're put together in a way that helps support people to uh, create a new habit. And there's a lot of, there's some, we, we need to help people to learn about why, what's going on in their body. We need to give them a, an experience of it. Yet these are just the tools and techniques. The biggest thing from a leadership perspective is that, you know, the, the, the energy, the emotional state, that the way the leader is emotionally engaged with people is so critical to the culture of the organization that if that leader is operating from a place of stress and anxiety, even though they may be hiding it in their mind well, then it, everything starts with the leader. And we know now because Nobel Prize winning physicists have proven beyond doubt that the physical world that we're operating in is actually pulsating particles of energy and that we're constantly transmitting and receiving information about each other and about our external environment on a 
uh, on a frequency. And therefore, if the leader is transmitting on a frequency of stress and anxiety, it will be felt at some level throughout the whole of the organization. So to me, that the initial work starts with the leader first. And as the leader becomes this absolute model of excellence, then in turn, that in itself starts to create a strong reason for change. And one size doesn't fit all, Ross. You know, the, the work I do and how I do it, the programs I've got, you know, it is, is suitable for some people and for others, it's not relevant. I think that it's important for any organization to embrace that we're all unique individuals, yet it's to create the awareness of and the encouragement to find something that really does work for that individual. And it all starts with the leadership of the organization. I've got, a, just as we come to the final close, there's one question that I ask every guest that I'm going to do at the uh, just before the end. But I, I wanted to touch on um, maybe some fears that leaders might have in opening up this area um, and whether they might be dealing with their own trauma, whether they ever get to a model of excellence or these pieces is the accountability and responsibility of the line between doing the work, supporting someone's career and development to then stepping the line of trauma, counseling, therapy, and those things is that a fear of, hey, if I invite this and open it up, that I can, I'm, I feel okay in the surface level, do a few of those things. But if we go deep where the root cause into the trauma, hey, that's not something that I feel um, equipped by or as an organization how can we be equipped for dealing with some of those yeah. things People where do you be, yeah. find the line and how do you navigate that because I think I'm personally in our team I feel very connected to them I want to see them uh, thrive in their whole lives not just in work but I also feel a sense of weight and responsibility of hey I, I'm there's things that I can't do here and if I start this ball rolling uh, I can't just do it and abandon so I've got those sort of things going on in my mind and I wonder if others might be feeling similar things of how far can we go with this as leaders in the work environment versus um, people healing in their lives I don't think it's appropriate for leaders to get involved with trauma it really isn't. And it's not about that. One of the reasons that over the years I've pioneered different exercises based on the, the technique that I just took you through is that is a very simple and easy way to process our own trauma. And it's something that we can do in the comfort of our own home. And it gently, over a period of time, it softens some of the unprocessed emotions that are connected to the trauma that we went through. The trauma itself, the event itself is not the issue. It's the associated emotions that have been frozen in time. And that's not really up to someone that's not an expert to deal with. So one of the great things about using breath work is that for an individual, it's something that they can use themselves to actually help process their own trauma in a way that's comfortable, 
that's fairly quick that they can do in a very manageable way. I think with um, organizations that there's always something we can do if we can think out of the box. So if something's not working, we need to change the way we're doing it. And we do need to look at well-being solutions that actually work rather than going through a tick box exercise because we can say to our shareholders, oh yes, we've got um, a, you know, we've got a great, you know, portal up with all well-being advice on there. We need to look at how can we make uh, well-being, mental health, how can we make our people more agile in the workplace? And the only way they can be more agile in the workplace is by releasing the burden of stress, anxiety and overwhelm. And it's a bit like, you know, you're, you're dealing with an individual that let's take two balls. One is made out of concrete and it's really tough. And this is the old fashioned type of leadership. So they they're really tough and resilient, except you can just drop that ball and it smashes. Whereas if you've got uh, a foam ball and it's very soft and squidgy, yet you can uh, you know, put it under an articulated truck and it bounces back into its original form. And so the minute that we can look at what is actually working and involving the staff, involving employees, yet the change has to start with the leader himself. I can't speak to you about stress if I'm carrying stress and I haven't worked on myself. And there is a mantle of responsibility on all of us because of the human condition, because life is always going to be challenging. And unless we can find ways of being able to navigate through those challenges that still feels that it's okay, then we, you know, suppressing and pretending to toughen up is not the way through. We have to embrace working on ourselves. And it's either a question of, you know, we either, uh, you know, it, we either get bitter because we never process anything or we get better. And that feels really important. I like that. We either get bitter or we get better. And the idea of, you know, this shift from suppression and uh, into one of allowing it to flow through yeah. um, and that releasing of flow through. So we're not, uh, how do we cope or how do we put uh, this mechanism up or this barrier or these things to make ourselves anti-fragile or so... Um, you know, so able to cope or deal with uh, is actually to allow it to flow through without negative legacy and its footprint that it left with us. And I, I like that idea. So my last question for you, Nikki, as we, as we come to it, is one of our areas and one of our concepts is all around unlearning and where we might have something that in the past gave us an applause, whatever that may be, well done, a check, a a successful result, the outcome we were after. And now something shifts and doing the same thing no longer provides the outcome that we were wanting, that no longer the applause. And so we have to unlearn that way of thinking, unlearn that process, unlearn the product, system, service, whatever it is that we're doing to find a new thing. Now, children are really good at this. You know, they're, they're curious, they're able to discover things and they're constantly doing new things and things for the first time. And what we've noticed through our research is that as we get older, we tend to do less 
firsts, <laughs> less things where we're still curious. So my question to you, Nikki, is when was the last time you did something for the first time and what was it? I'm just, well, so how honest can I be? <laughs> You're in control of your own, um, your own narrative and own story. Um, so I've recently embarked on a journey where I've been fascinated by plant medicines and the, the healing abilities of plant medicine on indigenous tribes and how they've used it for over 4,000 years for the purposes of spiritual, emotional and physical healing. So when you put yourself in a situation like that, where you've never experienced anything like that before, I was absolutely petrified. It was mind blowing. And in that moment of doing something totally different, the whole world changed and my perception expanded. I love that. I think there is a, a frequency awakening of consciousness across humanity. Um, and I think plants have a part to play in that, um, of aiding and helping us uncover all sorts of things in ourselves that we perhaps don't currently perceive. And I know a number of people close to me who are going through similar journeys to what you've just mentioned, um, and doing some deep work in those areas, which for someone, by the sounds of it, we might be quite similar, have never gone anywhere near any of these sorts of things, you know, drinking, smoking, any drugs, that's never uh, been area for me. But I'm intrigued by these uh, things. So thank you for sharing countless pieces of uh, wisdom and that shift between, hey, I've learned something, but what might we do differently tomorrow as a result of today? So I'm inspired, I'm thankful. I'm looking forward to you coming and sharing lots of this with our community at AQ as well when you come to our masterclass uh, later in the month. So thank you. If people wanna get in touch with you and reach out, what's the best way, Nikki? They can just send me an email at uh, Nikki at NikkiJOwen.com. Perfect. And they we'll get can that Google on the link. me and yep. they'll find me quite easily. So Magic. Thank you very much, Nikki. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks. Thanks, Ross. Do you have the level of adaptability to survive and thrive the rapid changes ahead? Has your resilience got more comeback than a yo-yo? Do you have the ability to unlearn in order to reskill, upskill and break through? Find out today and uncover your adaptability profile and score, your AQ. Visit aqai.io to gain your personalized report across 15 scientifically validated dimensions of adaptability. For a limited time, enter code PODCAST65 for a complimentary AQME assessment. AQAI, transforming the way people, teams and organisations navigate change. Thank you for listening to this episode of Decoding AQ. Please make sure you subscribe on your favourite podcast directory and we'd love to hear your feedback. Please do leave a review and be sure to tune in next time for more insights from our amazing guests.